Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, Director of Practice Development at Real Self. The mission of this podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. Today's show falls into the category of things everyone needs to know about that we hope you never need to use. And my guest is plastic surgeon Josh Corman. Josh is an expert on the topic of fraud, and he's the co-author of the recently published book, The Business of Plastic Surgery. I sat down with Dr. Corman at the San Diego ASPS meeting this fall. Today I'm here with Josh Corman. He practices in Mountain View, California. And we're talking about the tricky topic of fraud in the practice. And Dr. Corman, you recently just republished your book, The Business of Plastic Surgery. Actually, it's a whole new written book. It's a brand new book. It's a brand new book. What's in the book? So it is a variety of topics designed to help practitioners and office staff from the very beginning of thinking about plastic surgery as a a profession, all the way through mid-career transitions, through retirement. But it's a lot about finances, digital marketing, medical inventions, how to build an operating room, how to hire and fire staff, how to keep track of metrics. It's really at the risk of sounding whatever cradle to grave. It kind of is <laughs> cradle to grave. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. There's a good word for you. Who helped you with the book? I'm sure you didn't write that all yourself. We've had really amazing experts. Dr. Heather Furness has been my co-editor for the first edition and also the second edition. And we had the good fortune to have people who really provide the secrets of their practice, the secrets that help them make great successes, and also people who are willing to talk about the troubles they had along the way, which, as we all know, we learn as much from the failures as we do from the successes. So here at ASPS, you're teaching about fraud in the practice, and I know you've taught about that a lot over the years. So can you tell us a little more about what that presentation will include? Yeah, I think it will include a few things. One that's important to think about is that it's like that quote from The Big Short, which is quotes Mark Twain, which is that there's the things that we worry about that we don't know, but it's the things that we know for sure that just ain't so. And what's really interesting is that that quote was actually not written by Mark Twain at all. So it's a what we are just so sure of that we really don't recognize. And we are very busy clinically and trying to have lives. And what we don't know is that we are at risk. We are very vulnerable to fraud going on both internally, meaning within the practice, and externally, meaning identity theft and credit card fraud. The piece that I tried to let people know about is that the The father of criminology, a gentleman named Donald Creasy in the 1950s, developed the triangle of fraud, which is a combination of the three factors that anyone committing fraud needs to have. And that is greed, opportunity, and rationalization. And greed, that's pretty self-explanatory. Somebody wants the money. Opportunity, well, in a medical practice where the doctor and many people are quite busy, there's the opportunity 
And then there's rationalization. And rationalization is, is a little bit reverse thinking when it comes to a, a medical practice and specifically in plastic surgery, because you would think that if somebody wants to steal more, then they would try to really build up the practice. But in reality, what happens is, is you don't like the idea that you're stealing from a good person. So you make the good person into a bad person and then you can rationalize why it's okay, which is why if you find that you have a lot of downturn in reviews, that is very, very indicative of whether there's something going on in the office. Because yeah, while there certainly are some doctors that may not be competent or they've been mean to a patient, you can see why that would evoke difficult reviews. But in general, the doctors are very competent and nice and really trying to help patients. And so if you have bad reviews, often there is drama in the office and drama in the office can relate to things like fraud going on because, again, this reverse concept, it's the rationalizing the situation. And it's very important for people to recognize that if they have a slew of bad reviews, it, they shouldn't just be running to thinking like there's something wrong with the review site or there's something wrong with this patient, that patient, it's all the patient's fault. It's very important to look within the practice and see what is going on. That's really a surprise to me. I had not considered that those two things would be linked. Are there other behaviors besides that one that would be a red flag for somebody? So in general, the classic characteristic of a fraudster is somebody who's the most devoted employee. Ironically, that that's the person that the doctor trusts the most, that's been with the doctor the longest, that does things with the family, that they're like the emergency contact number. Those are the people that are, unfortunately, the ones who usually are the fraudsters. Of course, there are wonderful, wonderful people who are not like that. So it's not like, oh my gosh, everybody who's really devoted is, a, is somebody who's committing fraud. But having said that, what's interesting is that the word embezzlement, and this is something I often ask at my, the talks I give on fraud, is I ask people, what is the difference between theft and embezzlement? And most of the time, nobody knows the difference. And the reality is the definition of embezzlement is, is theft from a trusted source. And that is what is so ironic for medical practitioners, because we want our patients to trust us. We want to work in a trusted environment. And here we have somebody or some people working totally counterproductive to destroy us. What kinds of checks and balances do you need to put in place so that you can spot it when it's happening? So one of the things that's really important to remember is that we, and I say we meaning, and I include myself in this, that we like to think that we're not accountants. So we hire good people and let them do what they're supposed to do. So you hire a good bookkeeper, you hire a good accountant. But in reality, a lot of that is they're working, they're reconciling accounts of what is in the books, what hits the books, and not what never makes it to the books. And people are very clever in terms of even running whole businesses under the eyes of a doctor when never even shows up on the books 
because it's never in the management, the CRM or the program where to really see how many patients did you see. And one of the things that's so vital is to have an accurate, what's called end of day close, where at the end of the day, it is very clear exactly who brought what in for what reason. The other thing that's important is that the person who gives a quote to the patient should not be the person collecting the money. And the two main areas where uh, internal fraud can take place is in the area of cash and inventory. So inventory is a huge source of trouble because when you have a lot of inventory coming and going and you delegate it to certain people in the practice, practitioners, nurses can do a lot of things. As everyone knows that you buy 10 boxes of a filler, for example, you get an extra box. And then sometimes the rep or the vendor will give you yet another box. Well, that's really 12 boxes. And yet the, the nurse might think, okay, well, the 12th one is free. Well, it's not free. It is being given to you to reduce the cost of your cost of goods. But, oh, it's free. Therefore, there's rationalizing why it's okay for them to take it. Botox, Dysport, Zeomin, all the toxins are also at risk for over-dilution, mislabeling, mixing and matching. And the biggest thing is it's a great big shell game because if it's too confusing, the doctor doesn't want to spend all his time dealing with it. And often other people in the office don't either. So what you really have to do is be very, very conscientious of physical counts of inventory and also having it correlate with what is being sold to each patient through the appointment book. And so that's the issue with inventory. Cash is a, another big issue because a lot of cosmetic patients like to pay in cash because it doesn't have to be reported to their spouse or their loved one or other places like that. And so most practices accept cash. Well, the problem is that nefarious employees can make side deals with patients and tell the patient, okay, I'm doing you the favor. And in their mind, they justify that they're actually helping the patient because they're making it cost less to the patient. And then they justify why it's okay for them to take the money because the doctor is not nice. And here they are and charging too much money. So now it's okay. And this is why it helps feed the, the concept of being the good person, that the employee who is actually the criminal is the good person protecting the patient from the doctor. Let's talk about the other kind of theft where, you know, the notorious Botox bandit comes in for treatment and disappears without paying. How does that happen? So when patients come for surgery, in general, there is a preoperative visit a certain period of time before the surgery, and they pay in advance for their surgery. A lot of offices will not take personal checks, or if they take personal checks, it has to be with enough time in advance for the check to clear. When people come for non-surgical procedures, often you don't know until the end of the treatment, how many units of Botox the patient actually got. So to ask patients to put deposits down or to put, it's just not comfortable, it's not smooth. So the natural tendency is to say, 
okay, well, make an appointment. And then after the treatment, we'll collect the money. And that's when the classic, oh, the money's in the car. Oh, I forgot the money. And then, you know, do that. The things that people can do is have a dollar amount maximum over which a cashier's check or credit card has to be presented. So that limits the dollar amount. Because most people are, are honest, but this bandit, the Botox bandit, definitely exists. What also happens, and I think is often overlooked in medical practices, is that with financing companies like Care Credit or Green Sky or other companies like that, people sign up and get approved for certain amounts of funding. But then when they come to the treatment, if the practice does not verify who the customer is and who the patient is in terms of the, they have to have two forms of government issued IDs and that sort of thing, the patient can claim that it was not them. And then the finance companies can claw back the money. And so it is really, really important for the doctor and the office to be very careful and very diligent because there are people all day long around the world trying to hack into credit cards, trying to steal credit cards. And it's easy to think, oh, it doesn't really affect, you know, it's, it sucks for the credit card companies, but they've already paid. So that's how it goes. Well, no, it doesn't really work that way. And that's why it's very important to know who is the patient standing in front of you. If it happened to you and a patient walked out after however much treatment that was unpaid for, what's the first thing that you need to do in that situation? Well, you can run after them and see if they forgot. If they get in the car and run away, you call the police. I think... It's not the first call that a lot of physicians or physician employees, they don't do that. But actually, that is the very first call to make. I recently saw a doctor who posted her after photo on Instagram and Facebook and said, this person stole $2,000 worth of product from me today. Let's see if we can find her internet. And that post went crazy with people trying to help and figure out who that was. I don't know what the outcome was, but I thought that was an interesting strategy. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. I think what often happens is that nothing happens, which is why it's really important. Because even if they catch the person, are you going to get your money back? Most likely, no. And so, you know, that they go to jail for that. What do you really want? You just like to be paid for what it is. And that's why it's better, I think, to limit your exposure so that you can be as careful as possible. I would think there's a, a time value of money question then you have to ask yourself if we catch this person and she doesn't pay, how much time is it going to take me to deal with the repercussions of that? Correct. And also, let's say it's a, actually an employee and it's a big amount of money. Do they have money? Or do they not have money? Because in many cases they don't have money. But do you want to make it a civil case? In other words, you have to hire an attorney and spend a lot of money and time and energy. Or do you call the police and, and is there enough evidence for a criminal case, which is a higher evidence bar? So in any event, it's much better 
for it not to happen in the first place. And that is why people need to be very aware, very diligent, and physicians need to recognize they need to worry about it. If you could give the audience just one piece of advice about protecting themselves, what would that one piece of advice be? Hire slowly, fire quickly. Everyone has a superpower. What is your superpower? Well, I know everyone would like to have a superpower. What is my superpower? Uh, Surviving on less sleep than many people. Where can we find your book? It's available on Amazon and through the publisher Time, T-H-I-E-M-E. Tell me the title one more time just so we have it. The Business of Plastic Surgery, Navigating a Successful Career, Second Edition. I'm going to pick it up and read it. Thanks for telling us your stories today. Thank you for asking. Expect that your advice will prevent at least a few bad situations from happening. So we'll have to do it again. I hope so. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And the mission of Real Self University is to help aesthetic professionals do just that. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive preferred rates. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.